what most people think. Hello and welcome to episode 168 of What Most People Think. And uh, listen, I did an episode of this show last Thursday and uh, I, so much has happened in the meantime. I mean, I just felt like I could have done a podcast every fucking day. What is, what is going on? What is going Well, that's the job. That's the job of this podcast. It's called What Most People Think and it is you know, trying to get to the heart of ordinary political views and you know there was a time when this podcast was you know sort of defending the conservative government and and going after labor where you know I, I would be a liar if i didn't have lots of criticisms about what's going on at the heart of government now whilst also still shining the light on the opposition asking what the fuck they would do and if you talk about the mood of the country i did a times radio event on saturday i mean this was a funny thing was i thought it was just me hugo rifkin and jess phillips uh, just talking in a studio so I, did, I had no idea why i was in cheltenham i thought there might be a small audience i got there it was 600 people and uh, i gotta say you know i get, I get on all right with jess she's one of those labor people who doesn't hate tories and i think in the age of uh Nicola Sturgeon detesting the Tories. Where's Monster? I think I think we need more of that. I think that's important for Labour. Is you know when they're trying to win back Tories is to not fucking demonise people that have voted for them before. And uh, there was six hundred people at this uh, recording, and I was they looked like. I mean, if you literally had like, what does a Tory voter look like? You go well, maybe over the age of sixty five, silver hair, up and about early on a Saturday. You know those people. You know when you see them at 10am and they go, oh, just having some lunch. You know that kind of person that's so up and at it? I was up at 6am listening to Radio 4 uh, and they were not happy with the government. So I don't know if you can base polls on on how the people of Cheltenham feel, but um, it's not looking good at the moment with the Conservatives. Um, I mean, and I will be speaking about, it's a guest episode this week, but I will be speaking about uh, the politics shortly. But um, just as a, a sort of idea of, of which way the wind is blowing, you know, I mean, we, we had that. And I will be speaking about uh, politics shortly before we go on to what is a guest episode with the brilliant Richard Heron, which I'll explain a bit more about uh, in the moment. But um, it is be, it was quite something seeing Liz Truss turn up in Parliament when Penny Morden was answering questions on her behalf. And then Jeremy Hunt stood up. It was like, you just sit there, dear. You just sit there. Daddy will handle this one. And Liz Truss just sat there staring ahead like she'd done a massive line of ketamine. I mean, it was it was something else, man. And then later that day, later that day on ITN, um, uh, Liz Truss gave an interview. I, th- I think, oh, was it on ITN or BBC to Chris Mason, maybe? And 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 I love these. I love ordinary people who give you an idea of which way the wind's blowing. And uh, my wife just looked at her and went, um, "God bless her. She still thinks she's prime minister." <laughs> So we will be speaking about the uh, a torrid last seven days politically. As I mentioned earlier, Richard Herring is on the show and he's got a book out very shortly on the 20th of October called Can I Have My Ball Back? Which is a brilliant title that alludes to the fact that he went through bollock cancer. But uh, we will speak about that. We will speak about you know issues in and around, you know, the male testicles. Uh, is there any other kind of testicles? I mean, I go to say that, but there'd probably be someone who say, would say, you know, women can have testicles. And, uh, and But there's so much more than that because Richard's book has a jumping off point for a lot of different things, including, you know, podcasting, uh, his life in comedy, the you know men's mental health how we uh, uh, approach these things so that will be coming up for the for the bulk of the show but um, the main talking point for this week is um, I mentioned in last week's show which do please check out it went up a bit later than usual but do check that out uh, it's got a lot of tales of my time in Las Vegas I don't know how the political stuff will have aged I suspect given the last seven days it'll have aged like fine fucking yogurt um but I mentioned uh, Andrew Jackson as being a president of... I thought he was the first president of the USA. Uh, he was the seventh. Is it really obvious who the first one was? Was it George Washington? Uh, but Andrew Jackson served from 1829 to 1837. Uh, I mean, God, in, in the current era, that's a good knock. Do you know Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, at the moment, the amount of time that prime ministers are serving for, it's like when there's a really difficult cricket tour and no one's at 100 and then someone hits like a a swift 47 and they get a standing ovation. So that would be a great knock in the current context. Uh, I was moaning about um, airlines and the fact that none of them ever seem to take off online. And uh, David has informed me that the number of British and Irish airlines in 2021, in terms of flights departing on time, uh, Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus there, 98.3% for Aer Lingus. I, I would say if you're listening from Aer Lingus and you're in marketing, just say that. Just say that. 
You know those fucking airlines that just uh, treat the departure time like some sort of nominal, aspirational thing to work towards, but uh, never necessarily achieve. Well, Aer Lingus, we take off on time. Uh, followed by Blue Islands. I don't know what Blue Islands is at 95.2%. Um, Blue I, I mean, that is, that just sounds, you know one of those airlines that came up uh, in the deregulation era that was just called like, yeah, Fly Air, that just had a really shit name of like, Whoosh, Whoosh Airline. You know those ones where the names are like so amateurish, they actually make you wonder, you think, are they going to fucking crash? Who's running this thing? Is it like some 18-year-old kid who inherited some money from his grand? Uh, and the worst was Virgin Airlines at 85.3%. Based on those numbers, I mean, I think that their idea of taking off on time isn't the same as mine, right? I, I think that that probably means took off within an hour of when they said they might take off. So let's do the new patrons. Uh, Nicholas Tall, Mr. Tall. I don't know if you remember last week, his wife gave him the gift of being a patron. Well, somebody has upgraded that uh, to the board. Welcome uh, to the board. And James Walker. So Mr. Tall and Mr. Walker. I mean, these sound like absolute fucking titans of the boardroom here. They're coming in. Maybe they're coming in with new ideas. You know, maybe the rest of the board members, maybe, what, are they going to do a coup? Is there going to be a boardroom coup here? Karen, please immediately bring tea. We don't want coffee today, Karen. We want tea. All right, let's calm these fuckers down. Um, but uh, just a reminder for the board level is that if you edit your pledge up to £20 or above, uh, there is a special welcome gift. Now, this will have been communicated uh, directly to the board members. And for our new board members, I will give a reminder of this too soon. I think I think it's worth uh, the money on itself. But uh, like all things in and around the board, what happens in the board stays in the board. So you've got to become a board member to find out what's going on there. And there is, of course, the uh, for, for all the patrons, there's the benefit of the Jeff Norcott and Friends gigs. I'm not sure I can carry off the Jeff Norcott and Friends thing. I think you've got to be a bit more well-known for that. Do you know what I mean? You've got to be like a Joe Lysett or a Romish Rangadafen. Uh, but I don't know what to call it. Uh, maybe that bloke Jeff Norcott and friends or that geezer off the politics shows or that Tory comic and friends I don't know so speaking of um, politics we're just going to track back a little bit here we'll track back I mean things have moved so much between the last remember the last podcast Kwasi Kwarteng was Chancellor and, and Liz Truss was Prime Minister I mean I know she's still technically Prime Minister but um, oh bless her she still thinks she's Prime Minister um, but Quasi he went over to the IMF to, <laughs> God as you say this it just sounds worse he went over to the IMF to reassure everybody about their plan for growth and he said he was 100% certain 100% 100% was incredible 100% certain he'd still be the Chancellor and then he got fired stepping off a plane coming back to the UK I mean the worst thing I found out Getting off a plane is that my luggage had gone to Vietnam. Not that I'd lost my job. And trust then, you know, afterwards, her, her authority is immediately gone. Because, of course, she's, uh, she's told him to do this. And then she's fired him. They've agreed on this together. And then she's fired him for doing the thing that she agreed on. And as someone a lot funnier than me said on Twitter, maybe, maybe they should get the unions involved. Maybe Quasi should <laughs> give Mick Lynch a shout. Because that's what feels like one for the unions. Um, and then she does this briefing, which is to... To, I can't even remember what day this was, but to row back on the corporation tax thing. And uh, what, what I thought was interesting about all this was that there was no real negotiation, right? So the corporation tax is 19%. So it's a planned rise. This isn't a tax cut. It was a planned rise under Rishi Sunak to 25%, which is a fucking massive hike, right? And, and, and But it's going to be 19%. And I thought, where's the negotiation? You know, if we negotiate with the markets, which is seemingly now run everything, it's like you go into a, uh, a used car salesman, right? And they go, uh, you go, well, what, how much is that car there? They go, 25 grand. They go, that feels a lot more than they're currently worth. I'll pay 19. They go, 25. You go, 19. They go, 25. And you go, all right, I'll pay 25. And then it would be one of those ones where even the car salesman's going, mm, you could have put in a cheeky 21 and a half. But yeah, absolutely. And then she gives this briefing where she just announces it in a fairly automaton way. And, and then straight afterwards. Now, I, I'm generally against these tightly clipped videos of politicians or people doing stuff where they're held up as an example of exactly who they are but there is this clip of Liz Truss when she was behind the lectern there's about four seconds where she's just looking around and sometimes you just see what a person is and maybe what they're capable of and she looked completely out of her depth and, and you know why I know that is because she was doing what I was what I would have done at that point that's why I'm not prime minister she was looking around going fucking hell and and I cannot believe that she was only slated to answer four questions from the press. I think what happened, just on a human instinct level, is that it overwhelmed her a bit and she bolted earlier than she should have. So in terms of reassuring people, it kind of 
Um, it kind of performed the opposite. Maybe she just said, hey, you said briefing. I kept it brief. Um, and then suddenly in comes Jeremy Hunt, right? Yeah, Jeremy Hunt is now the new chancellor who finished eighth out of eight in the Tory leadership race, uh, lost to Boris a few years previously. But maybe Jeremy Hunt is the ultimate example of fake it till you make it, all right? He's like the guy in X Factor. Do you remember the person that got like sent home at fucking boot camp and then, I don't know, when they get to the X Factor live finals, it turns out one of the uh, one of the finalists microwaves a fucking hamster on TikTok. And so they've got to, they've got to get someone in. And he goes, how the fuck is it? Why have they got that guy? Oh, okay, Jeremy Hunt in the live finals. And, and as I said, you know, he, um, he does all this stuff to reassure the markets. And you go, um, is it all to reassure the markets? Is some of this a degree of political manoeuvring here? This does feel like a one-man defenestration. You know, sit, sit there, love, sit there. You know, daddy's back, daddy's back. Uh, reassure the markets. And in a further attempt to reassure the markets, I will manacle Liz Truss and parade her around College Green chanting, shame, shame, shame. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, they, he rode back on so much. He rode back on so much that it wasn't even like the plans from the mini budget. He went back on Rishi Sunak's pledge to reduce income tax by 2024. I mean, where does it stop? It's like we've also rode back on the idea of Liz Trust being called Liz. She's now called Lucy. Isn't that right, Lucy? Say it. Look at me. <laughs> Say it. Say my name is Lucy. Oh, my God. Do you know what she's like? She's like, I don't know if anybody's seen um, Game of Thrones, but you know that series where... That guy, I can't remember his name, but he becomes Reek. <laughs> I mean, this is so, that's such a brutal analogy. Even I feel a bit uncomfortable about saying it. But look, if you know the show, you know what I mean. Um, and then the markets, you know, Joe Biden's chipping in. The markets are chipping in. I, I think we are moving to a very technocratic age here where, hey, maybe this is weird. We're just getting back to democracy as it should be, right? Which is that Britain is run by a combination of markets, Joe Biden and Tory MPs who text Emily Maitlis late at night. Does any part of you think it's weird with all the Tory MPs texting Emily Maitlis? Fucking weirdos. Anyway, in fairness to Hunt, he can actually speak to people. So whatever it is, the, 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 the path that the government is now plotting, he can communicate it. He can, he can stand up and he can say words, right? And the same is true of Penny Morden, who stood up uh, in the Commons and, and took the uh, urgent question from um, from the opposition, from Keir Starmer. I mean, it really wasn't a question, was it? I mean, it wasn't an urgent question. It was mainly like, what the fuck is going on? Which I think probably resonates with a lot of the country at the moment. I mean, seriously, what the fuck? And um, and then this is a weird moment where, while Penny Morden is fielding a question on the PM's behalf, Liz Truss bowls in, sits down next to Jeremy Hunt. He basically stands up and says, uh, does his sort of patriarchal thing. And then she bowls out again. And there was this weird thing that Penny Morden... First of all, I think Penny Morden did well. Same with Jeremy Hunt. They can do politics, all right? There is a value to this, being able to stand up and communicate uh, ideas. And, and Penny Morden... I'm going to say again, I think she's hot. And I'm only saying this. You might think, oh, it's toxic. You shouldn't talk about female politicians in that way. Well, we've had the Millie fandom. We've had people crushing on Keir Starmer and stuff. This, I'm fighting back one for the lads. I'm crushing on Morden, all right? <laughs> I'm crushing on Penny... I mean, mainly on the hair, let's be honest, and I'm sure the ladies are with me on this. But that, whatever you feel about politics, as a woman, you have to look at Penny Morden's hair and go, fair play, that has got some body to it. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, what's happened here is so beyond anything I've ever experienced in politics. It's, it's not just like a... It's not as if they've just gone back a bit of U-turn. This is like um, a, a movie franchise. You know when they try and reset it? You know, like J.J. Abrahams did with Star Trek, where he sort of said, you know the characters they were originally, we're going to go back before that and we're going to restart that whole fucking story. Um, you, know, you know what it is, maybe for older people, it's like Bobby Ewins waking up in the shower. I'd like to offer a bit of balance here and say that Labour attack lines are, even given like the state, the utter state the government in, like, it never fails to surprise me how poor Labour's attack lines are. Rachel Reeves was very good in the Commons. You know, she had some good jokes. Starmer had a couple of good jokes but as I've seen like Labour ministers out and about doing the rounds I just like it, it, I'd think they'd do well to just avoid speaking because it, it, what there is a reminder of is that the Tories are in turmoil but Labour are still an empty space in terms of policy I mean I don't I don't really know how they transition from this thing where they're going um, oh you've uh, you've spooked the markets you've done a lot of borrowing uh, you've raised highest tax burden to in two years going okay so we're gonna we're gonna borrow some money and we're gonna spook the markets and we're gonna raise taxes at some point that is a transition the Labour Party have to make. Either that or they're not going to govern as a very left-wing option. I do think, you know, for a while we've been speaking about whether or not Starmer is, um, you know, is he Kinnock, is he Blair, is he Miliband? He's fucking Nick Clegg. 
is what he's going to be because he's going to come into office at a time when there's very little money and he's just going to have to... It'll be a degree of, I think, you know, if and when, and it seems more likely when, Labour win, there'll be a degree of continuity, right? Either that or we accept that sometimes to do what a government needs to do for a country, the markets might have to be a little bit spooked. You know, and like when it comes to the Tories, I think what most people think, I mean, let's be honest, right? Whenever the next election was, it was always going to be a lot for the Conservatives after 14 years of power to win another election. And maybe people just think, you know, there's, it's time for another option. I still, I still, I'm not alarmed by the idea of a Labour government as I, to the same degree that I was under Corbyn. I am alarmed by the idea of them having a fucking 500 seat majority and there being only 20 Tory MPs. I don't think that's going to happen. I think, you know, the closer it gets, once people start seeing that election map where the dominant colour is red, it's either Labour or the SNP running the whole of the United Kingdom. Yeah, not not so much, not for me. So, so I don't think we're looking at, uh, but it could be on the scale of perhaps 97. I just think maybe it's very simple, is that being in charge throughout Brexit and COVID has just sort of fried the Conservative circuitry, isn't it? They've just, they've just kind of burnt through talent. A lot of people on the front bench, new person comes in, they want their own power base. Like I always said, Boris's big mistake was getting rid of some seriously good political operators. Then you have like inexperienced people in. Those people don't do a job. You burn through them. You have to bring back some of the old people and that always looks like you're going backwards and bit by bit, they've just burnt through a lot of talent. And here we have a version of the Conservative Party, which is uh, neither really got an obvious plan for growth and and nor a plan for raising taxes. So what, you know, the Jeremy Hunt version of the Conservatives is basically gluten-free. Okay, we're going to chat with Richard Herring now. So just to kind of like hit the ground running, Richard's book, uh, Can I Have My Ball Back, is about his experiences over the last year or so, whereby he was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. Uh, He had one of his bollocks removed, and then he had certain kind of like scares uh, after that. But obviously, it's it's a very funny book, uh, which I've read and thoroughly enjoyed, and it's out on the 20th of October. And uh, he was good enough to uh, join me for a chat. And I, I think the great thing about this is like, I don't know, you know, some of you might put Richard in the thing with like, you know, lefty comic, but you know, when it comes to to how he views politics and how he wants to talk about it and his views on cancel culture as well. I think, you know, do enjoy this interview because I think he's got a lot of opinions that might uh, come from an angle that you wouldn't expect. So let's have a, a really deep chat about bollocks and plenty more besides with Richard Herring. So I'm delighted to welcome to what most people think is uh, Richard Herring. Welcome to the show. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Well, yeah, it's very exciting. I think it's on the 20th of October that your book comes out. Yeah. And a brilliant a brilliant title, Can I Have My Ball Back? Yeah. Um, I mean, when, when you think, well, you know, testicular cancer, bollocks, how much, because there's so many great puns in this book, how much fun did you have just trying to explore every single gag avenue around around balls, basically? It's just one of those things, you know, like, hey, you know, if you're going to get, cancer and you're a comedian this is the best place you can get cancer because obviously there's you know it's the funniest place to get cancer so there's (laughs) there's more jokes people for some reason with this you know most cancer people take quite seriously but you get so many tweets and stuff and so (laughs) so many people basically offering you know when I was writing a book so many people offered titles and this one didn't can no one didn't come up although subsequently someone's got to say they've written a book about testicular cancer with almost the same title but it it, did it didn't uh, this one didn't come up at all so like yeah you're trying there's a part of you thinking well I want to try and come up with better ones than other people can come up with but it's but it's you know I think you've sort of got to do it because people will do it themselves if you don't do it so I nearly went for my first thing was never mind my bollock, which I think is probably a bit of an a bit of an obvious one, which a few people suggested, or something around never mind never mind the bollocks. Yeah. Uh, and my my publishers really liked that one. And then I came up with this one, and I actually tried them out in a podcast, uh, and the and the and this got a huge laugh. And never mind my bollock didn't really get anything, so I went back to the publisher and said I've road tested it, and it's got to be can I have my ball back. And they 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 I think they preferred the other one. And they they come on, oh yeah yeah I think that is good. And it's one of the I think it's a you know it's a good title because it's. If people laugh at it straight away, so it's, so it's, it's a great, it's a great start to get, get you know you know that with an Edinburgh show if you've got an Edinburgh title that yes. people are, and a poster that people are laughing at you go that's pretty good they've you know they're laughing before they've even started so I mean so, obviously yeah. you know when like um I, I've written one book you've written several books how much I bet there was a point where you were sitting down and you just think about the narrative arc of it and how you tell the story but I wonder how disproportionate the time was that you spent of thinking of bollock puns. <laughs> Um, you know, it was it was weird. I've, I found writing books really hard generally, 
Uh, and this one, just like my bollock, just came out of me <laughs> almost, <laughs> not not quite, not quite in um, one go. But like I, you know, I it, It's I not as big it, in 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 some ways. It's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, luckily, it nearly got as big as this book. But um, you know, I think it was just. I think it was. It was such a cathartic thing to. It was quite hard to write the book in terms of. I think reliving it was suddenly the trauma of it started hitting me a bit more than it had at the time, really, because I'd sort of laughed my way through and and mm. got through it by distraction, but also thinking I'm going to fight, you know, I'm going to be positive about this, which I was. I did find it nearly all a positive experience. Uh, and so it was sort of weird writing the book. But yeah, I think a lot of those things, I wanted to try and have different... You, I'd, I'd written a book called Talking Cock previously, ironically. And the, the fact that this happened to me, there's so many kind of parallels with previous shows. Like I did a show about Hitler moustache and now I've got Hitler's balls and all that sort of Hitler's balls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there's so many kind of things that link back to stuff I did before but with Talking Cock I had a lot of fun of trying to come up with a different euphemism for penis head pretty much every time I wrote it so I think I was sort of a bit schooled in doing that so I wanted to try and do the same for balls it's a bit harder with balls there isn't there isn't quite as many ways you can do go you have, of the two do you have any any, any favourites that you remember like any euphemisms that uh, you sort of sort of stuck with you I liked um, uh, comparing them to a sort of slightly less wrinkly version of the Chuckle Brothers, uh, especially <laughs> given that you know the, the arguably the most uh, the most popular one is now gone <laughs> as well. So, <laughs> so uh, and I think like things like kiwi kiwi fruits in a sort of shopping bag, I think is in a hairy shopping bag. Is sort of quite. Uh, it's nice when you get that almost perfect. But I love beers. I mm. always love Viz Profanosaurus, and I love how poetic they are with coming yeah, yeah. up with. In fact, in in Talking Cock, I got one of my things into I called an erection a naughty Nazi salute, and that got into the in that got into the Viz Profanosaurus, <laughs> which is one of one of my greatest achievements. So, 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 so the angle of an erect penis, <laughs> the naughty Nazi salute, <laughs> the naughty Nazi. If you're younger, no, now it's the now it's I don't know what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, fifty five. Yeah, the the cautious yeah. Nazi salute. You know, some some of the some of the moderates in the party that were like, well, this, some of this might be on film in a few years. I don't want to seem too keen. Um, it was interesting what you said about you know it being ripe for comedy. You make this great example about you know that you can joke about this, and I think you said uh, it'd be very different if you were writing jokes about liver cancer. And and you know that's one of the great things about comics when they turn to write is you knew to find the thing that just sounded re- the most unfunny because like yeah. if you'd have gone like AIDS, right? Everyone goes. Well, we know for some weird fucking reason, AIDS is sort of like a go-to gag uh, yeah. in some respects. But liver cancer, got all that—that that is really, really serious. Yeah. I think but, partly because I know a couple of people who've had liver cancer so, and, and died from it, and, yeah. and so I think you know, I think that really, it, as a comedian, we would you would still we would find our way through that. You know, I would still write a, a book if I had a worse yeah. cancer, which hopefully I won't. But if I get one and was going to write about it, I would still want to be funny about it. But obviously, it's much harder. It's much harder to find what's funny. But, but you know, but, but you know, none of this is, of course, laughing at the idea of having cancer. Uh, but it's a, it's it's the idea of laughing. You know, using laughter as a way to cope mm. with it. I think, as with anything, you know, anything that's horrific or unpleasant, uh, if we're able to laugh at it, even if it's going to defeat us ultimately, it gives us a little bit of power over over something that we're you know, mm. with, with cancer, you're fairly powerless. And like you know, people can talk about battles with cancer and surviving cancer but you know i did nothing in this but lie back and let medical professionals sort it out you know it was not it, none of it's none of it was my choice so you know you are a, you're a you know you're a passive part in nearly all of this i think so it's um yeah so I, but i you know I, I you know this as well and i think it's it's just not for everyone and obviously if you don't if you want to take tr- mm. cancer very seriously don't go to a comedy show about it or read a book about it but I think it it was it was really interesting how just talking about it on Twitter me and my wife had a big discussion about whether I was gonna um you know mention it in social media and my blogs and stuff and whether that you know Mm. my wife's going Steve Bennett from Chortle will get hold of it and it'll be all over Chortle and you want that and all that Mm. although he never wrote about it at all oh well that's Uh, a classic thing with a comic you sort of think it'll be awful (laughs) if he did and then when he doesn't you're going oh that's a bit you know yeah why didn't he do that yeah Uh, but but actually by writing about it and being open about it and you know got I got so many positive responses on on social media and you know incredibly I think at the moment about three the book hasn't even come out yet. I think it's three or three or four people have said it was a result of me mentioning it. They've gone and got checked out and found out they yeah. had testicular cancer. And obviously many more have gone to find out they haven't got testicular cancer. But that's sort of amazing that 
mm. you know, by talking about it. It was helpful to me because turns out testicular cancer is a very curable cancer to have. And people who'd had it 30 years ago were tweeting me going, don't worry, you, you know, you'll almost certainly be fine. Uh, but, and I, that I, is a good reason to to go and get get checked, you know. But I yeah. can sit here and do that. For, it, it always feels good, doesn't it, as a comic when you have a little message and you go, "Look, guys, do go and get checked." <laughs> I know for a fact I haven't checked myself ever, um, right? right? And 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 I also know for a fact that even subsequent <laughs> to saying this now, I probably still won't check myself. I don't know what it is. What is it? Because you you're in that sort of category as well. You 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 were honest enough to say that you'd done that exact thing. Why don't why don't we roll our balls around? You know, because you think about how much time we spend playing with our knob, touching yeah. it, looking at it. But <laughs> when it comes to doing something of, of, that might save our life, we're like, oh, fuck it, I'm not getting involved with that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's a weird thing, and it's a weird thing about masculinity. I think it's it's and it's not exclusive to men, and, it, and not all men, Jeff. It's not all men. But, yeah. um, you know, so we. I think the fear of finding, you know, it's so stupid. It's yeah. so dumb, because I think it's about the fear of you'd rather not know, because... <laughs> You know, so I think that's the only part, you know, and I, yeah. but I'm still the same. I had like a little extra problem uh, with the remaining one. I had a little, I thought, I thought I was, I thought there was a, there was a lump on it and I thought, mm. oh, fuck, I'm a goner. You know, this is terrible. It's going to spread. Uh, and, and even after having that, I now find it almost traumatic. To, it was turned out to be nothing. It was just a cyst. Yeah. But having had that, I find it quite traumatic to go because you, then you just start imagining once, what, especially once you've had something go wrong, you start imagining, oh, is that bigger? Has it, has it changed? Mm. But yeah, I mean, even if you're just, you know, even when you're fiddling around with yourself, if you just try and get an awareness of, you know, size yeah. and and it, it, it it's so crazy not to do it, Jeff. And you know, just in the if you're in the bath and you're washing it, just to have a little check to see. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're sensitive, aren't they? I think there's a part of me thinks, do I want to be going around? You know, yeah, well, I was sort of thinking of it as like, you know, when someone touches your eye. Yeah. Um, but then again, I've always thought when I've watched porn, one of the things that really stands out is what an absolute battering the balls get. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you watch it for as long as you go, look at them, absolute soldiers. And it is incredible. There are a couple of situations where I don't I, I don't understand why they don't experience. But it's like they know that, that we're, they're at the sharp end of what they're there to do. Yeah. And they switch off the pain receptors. So I guess, I guess we need to be a little bit sensitive, a little bit less sensitive about that. I mean, yeah. one of the things that's interesting as well in the book is you also have a lot of, of facts. And at the end of each chapter, you know, you explore some of the, the sort of nomenclature of bollocks and, and the glossary of balls. Uh, is that um, test, um, testic testicular transplants are possible? Yeah. But the, obviously, when if you were to have one, you would keep reproducing the sperm of the... The person that didn't have them, or probably the dead person in that respect, yeah. and 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 unsurprisingly, they're not that popular. Uh, testicular well, they, transplants. It, it's too. It's morally too questionable. So there's things on the internet people claim to be yeah. buying testicles for eighty thousand dollars or something, but I don't. I think they're they're that's apocryphal. It's a complicated uh, yeah. you know, surgery to do it. Obviously, to reattach it. But the moral question of if you did, if I took one, if you'd said, Rich, I'm really sorry you've lost a ball. I yeah. want you to have one of mine. I respect you so much. The moral problem of me then, I mean, it is so amazing that it carries on creating yeah. <laughs> your sperm once it's out of you. I mean, I just, I can't get my head around. There's nothing, you know, only your brain and maybe your ovaries, if you're a woman, would would do anything like that, you know, that would still be, you would feel, if you put your heart in someone else, it would become their heart if mm. it was a match, you know. But if you put your balls in someone else, it's still creating your te your sperm. So obviously, if you if you if I gave you one of my balls, or you gave me one of your balls, and I ended up having a kid, and then who's the dad of the kid? You know, the DNA result says it's your kid. Uh, so the only it's only happened about three times, and it's between uh, like twins mm. who uh, have the same DNA anyway. I think basically, don't they? And so it's um uh, and and that's sort of acceptable. But yeah, if you but you know as a as a straight man, mm. uh, you might think, do I want do I want Jeff Norcott, Norcott spunk on my tummy every time I have a wank? And, uh, you know. <laughs> you know, just learning about about, about the, the testicles, one of the interesting things, and I became aware of this a few years ago, is obviously when women are born, women have all the eggs in them that they're going to have for their whole life yeah. when, when they're born. Yeah. But but testicles are the thing that changes, you know. So, so it, it, it feels unlikely, but men are where evolution happens, right? 
I guess part, partly, yeah, you know, but I, I was, I suppose. Hey, ladies, you know, when you see I that. Suppose, I suppose also with, with, you know, the eggs may be there, but they can evolve, things change and evolve. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know. It's is that why such... we're so, 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 so sort of frenetic and, and, and women, you just, is that where serenity comes from in women? Is it, it's, it's all there. I'm not saying that women are prone to sort of like their own kind of toxic <laughs> behaviours, but blokes, as you rightly say, we're carrying around a lot of responsibility. Not only on any given day could we repopulate a continent, Continent, yeah. we're also sort of pushing the whole sort of like natural selection thing forward it's a it's a lot to take on isn't it really it is a lot to take on and it's an incredible you know and I, I, like i say in the book if there was only one huge testicle and it was in space and it was spewing out life like this it'd be worshipped as a god because it's absolutely insane the rate of sperm production yeah uh, is you know and the number of people that you could potentially create as a result is absolutely terrifying and yet because they're there you know, even if you're just in the room on your own, there's still two of them for most people, for yeah. most men, rather. But um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 such a yeah, it's it's such a, a it's an amazing thing. It was really interesting looking at the science of it and and why there one hangs lower than the other, and you know, it's a little bit about temperature and stuff, but there's there's kind of more to it than that. They can slightly retract. It's mm. you know why they're outside the body when th that seems like a you know that doesn't seem like a great way to operate and they aren't outside the body in all species that have them so it is possible yeah. it's not just about temperature it's possible for them to be inside but the fact they're outside seems like the the worst design fault that they're you know if it's asking for God, trouble isn't it it is it's literally asking for trouble <laughs> just hanging out there waiting to be whacked i mean one of the things that you explore which i've always enjoyed is the um well, the, the, the inexplicable joy that people take at seeing another man whacked in, in the balls. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm a big cricket fan and it happens in cricket more, probably <laughs> yeah. more than any sport. And I remember that Joe Root on the last tour down under, I mean, like it was, it was so awful because he was captain, England were getting beat. I mean, it was a really terrible tour. It was during COVID and he was getting repeatedly hit in the balls, repeatedly. <laughs> and so, I mean, even now you're laughing. This is as, as, as a testicular cancer survivor. <laughs> and it like, it really, it really got bad. Like in the end, like he had to, I mean, why am I laughing? He had to leave the pitch and go for like a scan and stuff. And, and like, you go and stop it. It's only adding to it. Is it, is it because yeah. it's just like the most simple form of Freud type comedy? It's like, that's the worst thing that could happen. And, and it's not happening to me. Uh, yeah, I think that that basically, I think it is. I think there's an element of of maybe uh, you know because men are are so you know uh, identify as being so masculine or being tough that to be so easily taken down is sort of <laughs> yeah. you know as a comedic principle. I think that's pretty funny. I think for men, you know, it, but men still women find it funny. You can say, well, that you know, it's a little bit of revenge on men for being bastards or whatever they are. It's fun mm. to see your partner in pain if they've annoyed you or someone else in pain but the fact yeah. that men still find it funny i think it is a knowledge that it's you've been through it so it's the it's the you know it's the it's the comedy of <laughs> of understanding and of experience mm. but equally usually it's you know it's going to be fine as well i mean if if someone yeah. was whacked in the bollocks you'd laugh initially and then if you saw that one of the bollocks hanging off or you know or that they re you realized they were going to have to go to hospital I think it would stop being funny then. It's just in that instant of, oh, yeah, I've, we've been there, look at him, he's down, he's in a lot of pain. But yeah. we know that within three or four minutes... It's the way that it evolves, around. isn't it? It's the fact that the pain isn't all there at the beginning. It's the fact that when it first happens and they're in a bit of pain, you go, this is actually going to get worse. <laughs> this is going to get a bit, a bit worse before it gets yeah. better. I mean... It is one of those strange bodily injuries that um, that is disproportionate. I mean, one of the other ones that sort of ranks up there is in stubbing your toe. I've always thought that the toe is like this massive drama queen that that just constant. Like if it was a person, yeah. it'd be somebody that was just creating <laughs> shit, and then you everyone goes around the house. It's, it's absolutely no. Sorry, it's fine. I was just having a bit of a weird moment. But the, but at least with the bollocks, you could go. Well, maybe that is the screams of a million sperm. Maybe that's what the pain is. <laughs> but they can, you know, because they start in your stomach with, you know, before they descend, it's all connected. So the reason it hurts in your stomach is because your brain isn't able to tell mm. why, where the where the pain's coming from because it's also interconnected. So it's ah. it's this incredibly sensitive area, obviously. And you know, we, yeah, we've all been through. I mean, in the book, I talk about. The thing that possibly uh, es escalated this my cancer happening was like 20 years ago. I just got knocked over in the sea, having a terrible holiday with a with a girlfriend who was cheating on me, and we were about to break up. 
and I went into the sea yeah, and we were in Barbados, it was lovely, but uh, I got kind of flipped over by this wave, hit my head and my bollock like expanded out to like four or five times its size. And oh. you kind of go, how's that? I've hit my head. What's, the, why, why, <laughs> what's happened to my bollock? And so I was on the plane and had the, you know, the as the plane went higher, the ball started hurting more. So every time we changed altitude, oh. I could sense it in my in my ball. And yeah, even, even as that's happening to you, it was absolutely horrendous. And mm. terrifying as well. So I was on holiday, you know, I didn't go to the doctors mm. when I got home. I didn't know what was, the fuck was going on. But it, it, it is still, but even that's funny, you know, the, the idea yeah. of a man. Yeah, your bollock a- was a nervous flyer, essentially. I'm aware that there'll be some guys, right, because it is obviously a sensitive area that are kind of like, is that they'll, 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 they'll be starting to cross their legs a little bit. And, and the yeah. truth about the book is that there is so much more here and it jumps off into other areas. I mean, you talk about, you know, the podcast and, and how that got you through times. I mean, I, I've been listening to um, Rahel Estepa, you know, for a long, long time. And, and it, it's been an interesting transition because at the beginning, for a while, the joke was kind of like you're having on people that had the career that you wanted, right? And that, yeah. that, was, that was kind of funny. And then there was this period where you started getting on the younger millennial comics who started saying, no, no, we like your career. And, and you never took it fully <laughs> seriously and now it's undeniable that what you're doing is what a lot of comics kind of want to do I mean how how is that I mean that must have been a positive thing to go through to go oh actually I was an early adopter and this is really where it's at in comedy yeah it's been amazing and you know it's just really luck and I suppose like uh I was you know the the things that motivated me weren't maybe what motivates everyone so like when I started doing podcasts in like 2008 or whenever it was it's very January 2008 I think it was you know, so many comedians go, why are you you're not getting paid? Why the hell are you doing this work yeah, and you're not yeah. getting paid? And nearly everyone said that. And I said, look, it's not about the money. It's about the freedom to do what I want. Uh, it's about, you know, the immediacy of it. It's about experimentation. Let's see, you know, let's see what we can do with this as a an art form. And it's getting rid of the gatekeepers, which I was just hmm. so fed up of writing scripts or coming up with ideas that I knew were good. And then some one, you know, and everyone said they were good. And then one person at the top would go, no, I don't think that, you know, have you tried doing this? And they go, you know, you know I've been doing, I mean, at that point I've been writing comedy mm. for 25 years or whatever. And someone who'd never written the script would tell me that my script wasn't any good, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and it'd be one I mean, person. that is so, something that, that's worth unpacking a little bit is, is that sometimes you get notes, right? And, and, and yeah. ideas on things. I'm working with somebody at the moment and they invariably provide good notes. And there's something that is quite reassuring about that. But then sometimes you'll get a note that's so, so much of a head fuck. It literally makes you want to do a different job. Like, <laughs> I, like where you go, they'll, they'll take something that's absolutely fundamental to like, say, say you had a, had a character that the, the starting point was that, Say, you know, for example, he found out in the first day of, of lockdown that he had a child that he'd never met or, or something like that, right? Yeah. And that that kind of fuels everything. And they're going, and then you get all the way through, you've written this for a year, and then someone goes, um, Does, do we need to have that beginning? You, go, <laughs> you mean the thing that the whole fucking thing is predicated on? I yeah. mean, if you you must have had a few of those over the years. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, that are loads. I mean, I've just written so many scripts that and that have fallen at various hurdles, but it's, you, you know, the last one that happened, the meet, you know, the people were so stupid and literally everything like no fielding was in it we'd filmed a bit of it they the, the cast were going this is one of the best scripts i've ever been involved mm. in it's such a good idea the director who's done loads of stuff is going yeah look there's so much in this is fantastic and then i went for a meeting where the people just went um do we like i don't really like the character and you know and and could you do it so that because it was all about multiple universes and the fact that nothing matters because everything happens you know and and mm. go, you know, there's no we do, what, where's it going to go and what's the point? I go, well, the point is there's no point, but we'll, you know, I would like to explore mm. that as we go on. The meeting actually got, I, I said, I don't think you understand the script. And she got, mm. and, and she got, we, the meeting got up and went out before it even finished. Everyone just stood up and left because she she was so annoyed that I'd, that I'd said, I don't think you understand the idea when she didn't yeah. understand the idea. And it just, you know, so those things were so frustrating. And I just, you know, I knew I had loads of stuff. And the thing, you know, I do come up, I produce a lot of stuff and, and podcasts allow me to, uh, you know, do stuff that I know will be a bit more commercial, but also to do stuff that I know uh, 200 people are going to listen to and love, but everyone else will go, what the fuck is going on? So I love mm. I love that freedom that you can say, you know, if I said I'm going to do 10 years of playing myself at snooker and put that out as an audio-only podcast for most of the time, uh, if I went took that to TV, they would mm. rightly go, fuck off. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but, you know, as a podcast, you can do it because it, people... And also, yeah, there was so much at that time there was it was all the uh, Russell Brand and Jonathan Ross thing had just happened and and the, and mm. everyone was so cautious and my I wanted at that time to do comedy that was pushing back boundaries and we were able to do comedy that pushed back boundaries in those ways at that time that was sort of 
Uh, well, because that's the point. It's on. what people sometimes call edgy, edgy comedy. And I've heard, I've heard many interviews where you've gone and followed lines of chat with, with guests that are, you know, really provocative and, 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 yeah. and, and, t- and take risks. And, and I think you're right. And people often forget that when they talk about censoriousness in comedy, they sort of forget that it's, it's a moving entity. And sometimes it's about, you know, whether you can talk about, you know, what constitutes a, a biological sex or what, or what constitutes a woman. But then sometimes it's just about taste and decency. And then yeah. right, right at the end of the noughties, I don't know if it's something to do with Labour having been in power for a while, but there did seem to be something very, you know, big C conservative about that Saxgate thing. You know, where is comedy going? It was in the era of Frankie Boyle talking about the Queen's pussy being haunted. and yeah. Which, look, I mean, look, I, I, I'm a royalist. That is a funny <laughs> sentence, um, it, you know, e- even now. And that's the point. Is So I've, I've referenced that joke now, not long after what's happened with the Queen, but I'm going to leave it in the edit because it's my podcast right that's that's yeah. the point and 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 that and people is choose, people choose to listen so people download if they don't like this they stop and and that's sort of what comedy should be if people don't like it you don't buy a ticket comedy lives yeah. and dies if it's if you're not funny you know people will go to you're not funny to every comedian and you go if we're not funny if we're genuinely not funny mm. we our job is assessed every single second yes. of every single yeah. 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 performance yeah. and if we're not making people laugh then we will not work it we could do one gig where nobody laughed and the you know the booker might go Oh, well, you know, bad luck had bad gig. Yeah. You know, if you did ten gigs where nobody laughed, the booker would go, oh, you know, you need to go away and have a think, and they wouldn't book you again. So you know, it's it's, and people wouldn't buy tickets to see you. What most people think. Does it piss off Stuart Lee that you're so popular with the younger <laughs> comics? <laughs> I don't know. He said he when he last came on, we you know we, where we, he sort of was, he, he got a bit sort of argy bargy and unpleasant. Was that he had a couple too many drinks, and he said to me, I know why you have. Um, young comedians on here it's because you think they'll give you work in other stuff and i said to him rich uh, so i said to him i said to him stew you know i've i've learned long ago that uh, no one pays you back for anything you do in this business <laughs> <laughs> and it's absolutely true you know no i mean we i don't think anyone's any of the people i've ever written for or with i don't think there's anyone who's gone hey you did that great thing for me come on my tv show you know yeah there, there might be one little thing that you get but no one's giving you like a regular thing yeah yeah and so you're not doing you're not doing it for that. So I think he can't he can't really you know he couldn't see that I was I really love comedy. I you know mm. I'm, I'm a big fan of comedy and comedy and comedians still make me laugh. I'm not one of those comedians who stands mm. in the back and and increasingly and I think this show you know what's happened I think is you're exactly right that it started out as like oh you know why but why you know like there was a bit of a character of Ed you know why 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 is David Mitchell more successful yeah, than me? Yeah, you yeah. know the joke being on myself as well because obviously there's reasons for that. Uh, but it became it became impossible to carry on with that aspect of the po- podcast because the podcast was successful enough. I mean, with Stuart Lee, I mean, you've been um, you've been good enough to have me on your podcast uh, a couple of times. Like we did one when you came back, um, and it was it was at the, the Clapham Grand and stuff. And, and um, like again, I was wondering if you did that to piss Stuart Lee off as well. But <laughs> <laughs> like the first one of the new series. But like politically, you've never struck. I mean, it's obviously that you have political convictions, and you know, along with many people at the moment, moment aversion to the government. But you've never been one of those people that seems to operate with like really high levels of moral or, or ideological certainty. You know. Well, I- well, um, I know I want to, you know, I want someone like you on. A, you are very, you know, you're very eloquent and your books are great. Your book's great, and you're, but you're very eloquent about explaining your point of view. I want to live in a world where, you know, you and I can have a discussion hmm. and and we can disagree with each other and we probably won't convince of each other of much. But I think we, you know, I think what's interesting, if you do meet in the middle ground, there's things you've said in the podcast like, oh, yeah, no, Jeff has a point, or I, your book makes me understand why people were voting Tory rather than Labour, right? Why working class people mm. were voting Tory rather than Labour. And a lot of people just go, why would you, you'd have to be evil to do that. You'd have to be mad to yeah, do that. Yeah. You know, just look at, go and talk to some people and find out why they're doing it. And then you've got a chance of saying, of convincing them if the Tories don't just manage to convince them by being so terrible. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I, I you know, I don't like that aspect. Uh, even if it's something I agree with, I don't, you know, mm. I don't, and I don't think it works. It's not a way to convince people so the people on either side of any of these big debates that get people angry, who then start threatening or start saying you're evil for doing this or you're wrong mm. for doing this, that's not the way. To, even if they are evil, even if their even if their opinion is old fashioned or out of date, the way to convince people is to talk to them and explain, you know, explain why they're wrong or you know, or explain why you feel as you feel. I think not. It's not even about explaining why someone's wrong. And then mm. you you know things do shift. So the the I you know in the 1970s most people in the country were racist and sexist um 
people wouldn't have thought twice so if a tv you know if a pop musician had had sex with a 15 year old girl people would have gone yeah what mate? most people would have gone well done mate that's fine you know i mean so, it's easy so, to forget even in the 80s i remember that bill wyman story like yeah. oh bill what's he like yeah uh, what's he like is a bit nonsense in my view yeah. uh, if so, you're asking you know, the question things change and people realize you know and things move on and they move in both directions but i think probably i think things are gradually do improve through that kind of barometer of people talking and people realizing they were right, realizing they were wrong. Um, I mean, I would have voted Brexit if I'd known it would destroy the Tory party this effectively. So, you know, I look back with regret that I voted Remain. Uh, but, um, but yeah, yeah. So I want to, I want to talk to you, but I'm more interested in comedy. I'm more interested in good comedians. And yeah, there are, there are, there are people on the right in comedy who I don't, I'm not particularly interested in talking to because I don't think they'll be very funny or I think they're, I think they're too, hardened in their views but equally there are people on the left who i would feel the same about that i don't want yeah i don't want to just get someone who's going to be too polemical or even you know i mean alexis sale's been on and he's for me he's politically i love him as a comedian politically he's a he's further to the left than i am and i don't agree with him on everything but i would still yeah. have him on so you know i, I think he's, he's further to the left than jeremy corbyn i think it's, it's fair <laughs> to say. But, you know I'm, i'd have john, i'd have john cleese on i would happily have john cleese on and you know and talk to him hmm. probably mainly about it is comedy but also try to say to him i don't think what's happened in the world is as bad as in the comedy the comedy world is as bad as you think because we can still it's always go. about lurching to to extremes isn't it it's, it's you know the, the word cancel culture is such a misnomer because essentially it, people say it was about consequences it's true but then the discussion is about are the consequences commensurate with the thing you know because yeah. that doesn't end the argument saying it's just about consequences like if you have a law that is too punitive you know if people are getting sent to prison for having an eighth of cannabis on them you can say well that's just the consequences yeah but like is that a consequence um yeah. fair it's got to fit the you know and i think that with everything I, I i felt that right from the beginning even like we you know when in the early days like football commentators would lose their job for saying a racial epithet right which mm. you know, I, I, I they it was dead off. He did someone did one off mic, didn't they? But it was broadcast, and yeah, mm. like he should definitely be reprimanded for that. He should definitely be in trouble. But if he comes back, you know, does it is that worth losing your whole life? If he came back and said, yeah. "Look, I've I've gone, I've looked into it. I'm really sorry about what I've done. You know, it was a stupid mistake. We've all made stupid mistakes, and we've probably all at some point in our lives at that mm. point done something similar in in private conversation." Um, you know, is that the end of someone's career? If someone's, you know, Leslie Grantham murdered someone and went to prison and served his time, and then he came back as and was an actor. So if that's allowed to happen, I mean, that like... is that is an incredible example there. I mean, we <laughs> all, is. I mean, yeah, no one, no one would ever think that now. You, you, you know, you, what you're alluding to there is like he served his time. Yeah. Now people go there. Is, no, there's no, there's no time. This is permanent. Uh, you know, you do one really bad thing once and you lose your career forever. That that is not fair. And actually, I think the problem with that is I don't think society works like that because even. Even if you're, whether you call it sort of uh, sort of Anglican or vaguely Christian values or, or any religion, really, is that that forgiveness is sort of built into it. It's kind, of, it's kind of really important for all humans to operate on the basis that if you fuck up, you might get another go at it. I think so, and I think you know, if you don't give people the chance, I mean, that's the way the penal system works. If you don't give people, I mean, obviously with the extreme things, maybe, yeah. But 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 if you don't give people a second chance, then there's no reason for them to turn around and change their lives. I just think for kids, if you make a mistake. If you are, if you genuinely, you know, I don't, I don't want people coming and going, oh, I'm so sorry, and then they carry on doing it. If someone goes away and thinks about it and is penitent and, and you know, mm. maybe serves some time, I don't think many people have been, you know, the only person I can really think, there's very few people who've really, really lost out in the long term. So, like, Jerry Sadovitz got a show cancelled and in return gets... A, a show yeah. at the O2 at the Apollo or whatever I mean on um, on that note actually I, I noticed that you were one of the the sort of comedians perceived to be of, of the left that was willing to sort of no, at least stick your head above the parapet and, and question is this is this where we want to be as an industry and is did, is that something that you have second thoughts about because of you know this idea of what we're all um, adjacent to or, or, or in that moment you know being a creative person who's passionate about the fringe was that the more important thing to you? I think is that the fringe has to be about artistic freedom and expression that's why it was yeah. And I don't think you can say we're for free speech, but this is too much. Especially if you've a booked someone, you know what they're like. But b you haven't written. If, if the pleasants had written down somewhere, if anyone mm. gets their penis out or or says this word yeah. or this word, we're going to cancel their show. Because what if you were in Edinburgh and you're half? You know, I did a show called Hit the Mustache, mm. in which I did say I wouldn't do it now, but I did within the with it. You know, within discussing language and stuff, I did say the words. I probably wouldn't do it now. 
but you know, it, it was it was about the nature of language and why we can and can't say them. If they halfway through the run, the 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 venue had said, "Oh, sorry, mate, you've said that word, so you're out. You can't do the show again." Yeah, I'd have lost that even more than I lost. You know, I'd have I would have lost twenty, thirty thousand pounds, and and there was nobody. There was nobody had said before, and so they, I don't think you can operate like that. Where you kind of, especially go, if it was on the basis of one complaint from a front of house nineteen yeah, yeah. year old called Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> I understand why they, you know, I understand that probably the, the 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 staff said we don't want to staff it, but if they'd said, all right, look, we'll find some staff who will start. It was only doing one more show. It's absolutely pathetic. I know, you know, so I know. like I would have kind of staffed it because I love Jerry. He offends me. He makes me feel sick. But it's but it, and he says stuff that is absolutely beyond the pale. But that is the character. He's the lowest of the low, uh, yeah. And he's punching up at everyone. If he started saying, "Oh well, I'm not gonna, I won't do anything about this mm. subject or that subject," that would be offensive because it would be saying, "I don't think this, you know, I, I this this is a special case in which I'm not allowed yeah. to be the most offensive." That's what his act is. Like it or not, that's fine. It's so you know, I've been to it and thought. It's like a, a theatrical experience. It's like going to see... If you went to see Macbeth and said, oh, fucking hell, some children get murdered in this play. We have to stop this play. You go, no, it's... A, but it's the worst a, thing is, Richard, though, I bet you any any money is that there are certain productions that are now giving that trigger warning. Well, and go, oh, by the way, the wife is a bit pushy. So if, if pushy wives upset you, just be aware. But it it comes from a place of people thinking if you're joking about something or you're, you're not taking it seriously... And it comes, you know, and it, and it comes from people who want to say, and I, you know, I, I'm, as you say, I'm left wing and I don't want people to be shouting those words about and there's reasons they shouldn't shout them about. But it comes from people having a list and not being able to have any kind of understanding of context. Okay, I hope you're enjoying the chat uh, with Richard there. We've got a couple more uh, new patrons to welcome. Stuart Hilton. I mean, we spoke last week about surnames that when your daughter brings home a fella, you're going to be happy with that, ain't you? Uh, Stuart Hilton. Uh, you're dating Stuart Hilton. The Hiltons. Oh, we're having the Hiltons over. Maybe it'd be like those aspirational friends. Did I mention that the other week about when your mum and dad have aspirational friends? Do you remember that when you were growing up, when you saw a different side to your parents when they're, oh, we're, we're, having the, uh, we're having the Hiltons over tonight. Mum's fucking got out of best cutlery, right? <laughs> Do you remember that? Is that, is that a phenomenal worth exploring when you, you actually see your, your parents' trans, sort of transparent, aspirational social climbing? Uh, but the Hiltons are over. And then there's James Tucker. James Tucker's the opposite. Tucker's one of those names. Maybe it was just because I was bullied by a kid called Tucker. But James Tucker, I mean, that is a name to strike fear. It just James Tucker sounds like the you're straight up hardest kid in the year. Do you know the kid that was always called throwing chairs at teachers and then like the day you found out he was permanently excluded in the early in, in, in the early spring of the year you were doing GCSEs, it was like it was like fucking ding dong the witch is dead. Do you know what I mean? No more ginchins. James Tucker's been expelled. Uh, this is just a quick hype. Uh that, uh, to remind you that Jeff Rendham, the show I did on Radio 4, if you if you can't be asked to do the BBC Sounds thing or get that app, just go to iTunes and go to uh, Comedy of the Week because Radio 4 have made that show the Comedy of the Week. Uh, download it and just wherever you can, give it good feedback. We're pitching for a series of this. It's the best feedback I've ever had from a show that I've done. So we really want to make this go the difference and obviously numbers do matter. A reminder, the Late Night Mash podcast I'm doing with Olga Cock is still, I think there's a couple more episodes of that to come. And uh, that anybody in the Patreon community, that there will be shows next year. I think it's on Wednesday, the 25th of January in London. Uh, and the, I think it's the first Thursday in March in Leeds. So there will be details uh, about that to come. Okay, let's get back to chatting bollocks with Richard Herring. You talk about you know po you know post um, you know uh, the cancer, and, and you sort of seem to become quite goal orientated, which was sound, sound like a really positive thing. You lost weight and stuff, and it became really uh, important to you to to sort of, sort of honour this booking that you had doing Taskmaster uh, Champion of Champions. And and you there is this interesting. I mean, Taskmaster is probably between a quiz thing and a panel show. But you like me have done a lot of TV quizzing now. Uh, it's a new circuit, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. it's this really cool thing that's cropped up in the last five years. Well, I really, you know, I've always been a fan of watching those quiz shows. I mean, Taskmasters is a bit different, but it, I think it's yeah. the great, the great, I think it's the best show on TV. 
because uh, it's just and you know it, it allows people to be to be funny within their own rights but also it's you know there's it's up beyond your control as well but yeah i mean yeah the idea of being able to, watching mastermind as, kid, as a kid and thinking one day i'll be able to go on that because <laughs> yeah. there'll be a slap, or you know or anything or pointless or whatever it is kind of nuts that you know i think it's sad that that's the main way <laughs> a comedian can get on tv these days but as a, a fan of quiz shows it's so much fun to do so, you know something like i really love the chase I, that was such a have you done the chase? That's such a, a no. I mean, this is this is the funny thing now between comics. You're like, you know, it used to be, or have you done the bear cat gig in here, <laughs> or, or have you done eight out of ten cats? You know, have you done? Oh, who books it? Bradley. Bradley. Bradley books it. I'll, I'll put in a word for you, Bradley. No, I, I haven't it's, done that. It's did... such a good format because it's terrifying, and you can do really well and come away with nothing. And but, yeah. you know, it's but it, and and you know, you've got to work as a team, and it's it's such a clever. And an exciting format and genuinely you know I just was terrified about the choices choosing whether I was going to go for the high amount or the low you know the lower amount and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah and, how, and, I mean how on the chase how be you know be honest how, how frustrating are the inadequacies of your teammates in a situation like that because obviously on pointless there's just two of you and that's an issue when there's yeah. three other people did it get frustrating it, it did a little bit within the um I mean, it looked like everyone was going to get knocked out. And, you know, Kay Burley kind of made some basic errors. They put a couple in that I think they think you're going to be able to get. But, you know, she did because she made mm. a couple of political ones she got wrong. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and she looked like she's going to get knocked out. I thought it was going to just be me. And, yeah, in the final chase, uh, there was a footballer, a female footballer on. And, and she would, they'd obviously directed a lot of sports questions. And she were buzzing and just not have listened to the question. And I would have known the aren't. They were easy. Yeah. It was like, you know, what continent? is karate from or something like that okay yeah. and i just thought oh, well i'll leave you know i'll leave it that's obviously hers i'll leave it but she said japan or whatever you know she said the country rather than the continent and so yeah. she made you know so yeah you kind of get every second counts but it was so lovely and we did you know everyone did well enough uh, apart from uh, Tim Lovejoy got knocked off. <laughs> that was the I mean, I mean, it's funny when you talk about like uh, kind of the jeopardy of it and Kay Burley getting politics questions wrong. When I did Mastermind, uh, Levi Roots was on and right. uh, he's the guy that invented reggae, reggae sauce. And so he picked as his subject, which I thought was madness. He picked British reggae, in, or you know, he picked reggae in the late 80s or something like that. Right, okay. I thought, do not, because that's your fucking brand, man. <laughs> and so like, as you say, they often give you a, a couple of uh, half follies straight out of the gate and he got those and then he got one wrong and I thought um, I know that and I'm, I'm pretty white you know whitest of the white it was, it was a question I think the answer was Eddie Grant and then you just saw the, the thing descend on him and, yeah. and the sweat start going because he suddenly seeing seeing a, a stock share price going down I mean I mean that is the thing is on the one hand there's not the, 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 the immediate pressure of a panel show to be funny the whole time you're there but then there's this also jeopardy of looking like a fucking idiot yeah, I've nearly cried twice. I've done pointless four times, and I, th you know, I basically <laughs> felt my voice going because I'm so, you know, I know I'm not going to do it, or I'm scared of getting knocked out. And it meant so. But the first time when it meant so much to me, and I was so nervous. And then my, mm. the, the, it was on with Rona Cameron, and she didn't listen to the question, and and you know, it was about eighties music. It was at, you know, we were getting there was like a couple of like someone like Barry Cryer and someone on, you know, mm. old, some old old guys who wouldn't know, and you know, and we were deaf. And you'd look at that and go, oh. Richard Rona are going to be okay in this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then so, and so she messed up. And then I was just like, my mind was kind of racing. And I came with some answers. Thought, oh, no, no. Because it was like number one uh, solo artist, number ones in the 80s. And then you think, yeah. was that the 1980s? Was that solo? Was that number one? You know, and then you you, you get into this spot. And then I had to get under seven. And so I was thinking, it's got to be really obscure. So oh, I'm going to take a chance that Brian Ferry released... Uh, jealous guy under his own name rather than Roxy Music and and then so I you know we are mm. out straight away from this thing but I was absolutely I nearly cried because it was such a you know without <laughs> I mean again this is another thing that men aren't supposed to laugh at but men crying is still funny to me and if well, someone had kicked you in the bollocks at that point <laughs> yeah. I mean it's so it's sort of so weird but Rich I was interviewing Richard Osmond at the weekend and he always says I'm the worst ever contestant on point which isn't fair every time I but I did we did finally win it mm. Uh, with, with Les Dennis uh, when I went on the fourth time for <laughs> that sort of law of averages but uh, every time it, it's all I've always I've always been like jinxed by the person I've, I've been on although I was on with my wife and we were a bit unlucky and she did quite well I told her I told her just kick it I just said kick it in just make sure it's right <laughs> and she but yeah. she basically she basically family fortune pointless and got the highest possible answer 
for everything and then I had to come in under the under the radar with something like but it nearly yeah. worked that time. Yeah, you knock it long to the big <laughs> lad. Um I and obviously, you know, one of the things with these things is they're good at let's be honest, you know, profile they get like a lot most of them get much bigger audiences than than yeah. a than a comedy format. And you know, in, in when you talk about your your treatment and stuff, um you mentioned a few times uh, people recognising who you were. And I just found that interesting because obviously, you know, there's good fame and there's bad fame. How, how did it feel to be in such an exposed situation? Uh, people were going, no, no, I'll get it in a minute. You were, oh, I know you, I know you. It wasn't so bad, it wasn't so bad. But I tell you, when I when I got, uh, when I thought I had, I think I did have a, like a sexually transmitted disease in the, like the early noughties after I'd just been <laughs> on TV and you have to go to the clinic and sit in amongst people, you kind of think, oh God, this, if someone mm. recognises me <laughs> This is embarrassing, but it kind of, I think I was sort of more overwhelmed. And in fact, my oncologist who claimed he, he said, oh yes, you're on Taskmaster and blah, 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 you know, he just Googled me before someone had obviously told him I was, yeah. uh, I was on uh, Taskmaster and I did talk to him and he did admit, I knew he, I knew he hadn't really recognized me. It was weird waking up from the general anesthetic. Yeah. It was like a, a circ, semi-circle and you're woozy and like sometimes people are just, hallucinating and talking shit at that point and you're you know you're you're you've got morphine and you're off your face of it and so there was a group of people almost asking me to do a do jokes and stuff you know going oh really? the, we've, we've all come to see we've all come and to also see they've you're seen the your knob as well like there's you go throughout a lifetime i mean how you're now in your mid-50s yeah. and obviously there's a group of people that you haven't <laughs> had sexual congress with that have all seen your knob i mean that yeah. is and you go they must talk about it. Once they've seen a famous person's knob, they must go. They must really. You, you, you're only human, right? Between themselves, maybe they might do that. But yeah, I'm not. It was. It was like people had come from different parts of the hospital to see me. But I do have this kind of weird. You know, it's always been. Even when we were on TV, we were. It was always like one person would recognise us, and the eight people they were with wouldn't know who the fuck they yeah, were, yeah, we were. Yeah. And then they'd get angry. They, they, the person who knew you would get angry with me for not being more famous. Go, yeah, I'm talking yeah. to my friend, you're famous. They don't know who you are. And so I've, I've, I feel very fortunate to be, and this is the nice thing about the podcast as well. It's this middle ground where mm. if anyone does recognise me, occasionally people are listening to the podcast when they see me and that must yeah. blow your fucking mind, must not it, if you walk down yeah, the street. Yeah, I've had that a couple of times. <laughs> it is really, and I can totally understand where why that is, where they go, dude, dude! <laughs> like they, they just magic you into existence yeah. through through their phone. But mostly, you know, I can I can live my life. I can, you know, I just sort of think, I would have loved to have been famous when I was 20, you know, like properly famous mm. uh, when I was tw- in my 20s, but it would have, you know, and been invited to all the parties and, and and married a supermodel and all that sort of just had sex with a supermodel all that sort of thing but mm. um you know i'm so glad i would have destroyed me i think if i'd certainly got into drugs and yeah. stuff i think i was too I, I, I didn't but it would have been it would have been too much for me and i think that and i think i would have turned a gigantic arsehole and d- destroyed everything and i'd probably be dead i think to be honest but i think having this level where you know you get it you get a little bump up occasionally and you get you get some people saying once a week or twice a week, someone goes, I really love, think you're brilliant. You know, that's a nice mm. little booster. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're Frank Skinner or, you know, whoever's the, the big, big comedian at the moment, when you're with Frank, walking down the street with Frank in Edinburgh, which is, like, mm. even in Edinburgh, I'm like, it's a bit hard to walk down the street in Edinburgh for me. Uh, if you walk down the street with Frank, it's just every fucking mm. person knows who you are. So guys are shouting out vans and you've got to be, uh, you know, every, however yeah, you're yeah, feeling, yeah. whatever you're going through, you've got to be... If you're Frank Skinner, you've got to be Frank Skinner, and he and he's great at it, and he does it. But if you if you don't want that, then that's a difficult thing to cope with. So I feel lucky, you know. Now I've got kids, but you know, imagine going to the soft play, and and then you're the centre of attention at the soft play. You know, what I mean, it would be mm. imagine being. I always think of Mister. If you were Mister. Tumble, and had kids, I don't know if he has got kids. <laughs> he could, you know, he can never take his kids anywhere, can he? Because even 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 though kids don't think Mr. Tumble's the same person, he's still Justin. So he'd have to disguise himself. And, you know, so I think you realise as you get older, it's the, it's the same thing as with the podcast. I've sort of realised how absolutely, I've sort of found a sweet spot accidentally that I wouldn't have aimed for, where I can do this job, I can make money from it, hmm. and uh, and and I I think I could probably work for forever unless I get cancelled. Uh, and uh, you know, people enough people like me, but it's it's not going to destroy my life. I've realised that's the that's the absolute great point to be not not to be mm. super famous, but, and then things go up and down. You know, 
And I, and I think that does come through in the book. Like there's a, a philosophical thing that comes through, you know, the experience of what you went through. And in a way, I've, I've avoided the sort of chronology of what happened with you because I think, you know, that that kind of ups and downs of it is, is a big part um, of the book. And it's a really interesting pattern to, you know, go from the, the anxiety over appointments, the results and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, uh, but it does, you know, there's a positive thing that comes out the other side of that. It, it, it's, it's just basic gratitude, you know, it's, it's, it's a... A simple thing, but it really, it really is an important part. I mean, I know that I understand why religion isn't a part of people's lives, but I bet you any money that bit where people went to church and went, "Yeah, cheers." That that <laughs> bit was really fucking good for us, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think you know, I think it is to realize, you know, the whole COVID thing should have made people realize that you know we need to work together because even if you're rich and you can afford private medicine, if there's a if there's a you know pandemic. You need mm. everyone to be well because you'll all be fucked yeah. if everyone gets it. So having private medicine can't help you. Uh, and, you know, we should be so much more grateful. To the things that the NHS went through in those couple of years is insane. So it's insane, you know, and to be then there for something completely different and them still managing to to see you and get everything done. I was so impressed by it. But, yeah, I mean, look, it may be, even though, like, you know, as a comedian, when I thought it might be something, it was, there was a, still a part of my brain going, this is great, you know, we can do this, can do that. The minute I found the absolute diagnosis, I wasn't thinking about comedy. I was thinking about you know, my being alive and being alive for my kids. I was thinking about my, you know, I was thinking about my family. I completely realised, not that I didn't know before, but it completely brought home, you know, how short life is, how, you know, how life can just go bang like that. You know, it can, you can go. Uh, and so, but also how lucky we are to be and how lucky we are to have these relationships. So, you know, I knew it made me, it was such a, a absolutely like obviously a one big negative and a couple of shaky moments, but at nearly everything in this was so positive. You know, life is such a, an unlikely thing to happen to anyone. We're so, we are so lucky to mm. be here at all, whatever our circumstances really. I mean, it's, it's an interesting philosophical point to end because there was a point of me, but well, this is the comics dilemma where I wanted to ask you about this anecdote where um, your son ends up shitting on your mum's patio. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm also aware that comedy sometimes, you know, at the end of Black Blackadder Goes Forth where they go over the, the top there. Yeah. And sometimes comedy can come to a point at the end where there's just this little sweet spot. So I'm going to, for once, veer on the side rather than something about shit or the body. Uh, I'm going to sort of like bring it to a close on a, on a, on a really nice note. And I just uh, recommend everybody to check out the book because like obviously there's this story about your journey um, with testicular cancer. But there, there is so much more in there about comedy and your worldview and stuff like that and just just remind us when the book is out and the it's, title it's again. out on the 20th of october it's called can i have my ball back there's an audio book of it which i did myself with a few extras as well uh, but you can get it basically from any any bookshop or wherever you get your your books or audio books from Ryan richard Herring, thanks so much for appearing on what most people think thanks jeff thanks for having me mate nice to see you Okay, I hope you enjoyed that chat as much as I did. It's just such a such a nice guy, Richard, and, and, and funny and, and, and easy to talk to. And, and I always find guys, you know, similar with, with when we had David Baddiel and Al Murray on the show, is people that have been around and, you know, had high profiles for a long time, but you just still get the impression that they like comedy and that they like uh, young comics and I was gonna say they like young comedians that sounds dodgy in this day and age but you know they've still they've still got the passion for it so in any way that you can support it I mean obviously buying the book uh, and, and, and I'll go, I, would, I recommend fully to go to a live record of Rohel Estepa because it gets into some dark and very funny places you know and there's a reason why it's been such a successful podcast uh, for so long uh, that really is all uh, from me this week I mean god knows what will happen <laughs> In the next, I mean, look, Liz Truss could go in. I will promise this. If the Prime Minister goes, I'll do a, a, a bonus episode. But I hope you have a fantastic week. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to this show. Please do recommend it to your friends, and I will see you next week on What Most People Think. Most people think.